This episode will be about one of the most popular topics in the AM universe, product design for 3D printing. You see, additive manufacturing has rewritten many rules of product and part design. It has helped to improve product performance, cost per part, and sustainability, all via design innovation. So what's the best way for your organization to make the most out of this design freedom? Well, we have the perfect guest to talk about that. Joining me today is Brad Rothenberg, the founder and CEO of Anthropology. Anthropology makes next-generation design software that unlocks the full power of 3D printing. And he's here to talk about the future of product design, the tools that allow designers to replace grunt work with creativity, and what not to do when designing products for additive manufacturing. Brad, thanks for joining me on Additive Snack. Hey, thanks for having me, Fabian. It's great to be here. So, Brad, you and your company have been on the forefront of additive manufacturing design for years now. Can you give us an overview of the current capabilities of additive manufacturing design tools? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's helpful to have an overview of kind of engineering tools in general to design, you know, every, pretty much every product that you see on the market or you experience has been designed in you know, one of three main engineering systems, whether it's, you know, a CAD system, CAD with some simulation tied to it. And if you look at the, the design software industry today, the design software industry is really dominated by a few, you know, a few large vendors, gigantic public companies, whether it's Desso Systems, Siemens, PTC, Autodesk. Um, and the vast majority of design work, like I was saying, is done using one of these three systems based on kind of the same underlying technology. And these systems, they've, they've served the engineering community really well for like, you know, three to four decades. They were, you know, built on technology designed in the late 70s, early 80s. And, you know, now the, the times have really have changed. Manufacturing's changed. Manufacturing with the shift to 3D printing or the addition of 3D printing into as a new manufacturing technology has has added this new complexity into the market. And you know, those traditional systems, they they don't take advantage of 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 they don't fully utilize the the power of 3D printing technology. And so new tools have, have been needed to complement those traditional systems. Not replace them, but but complement them. And that's where Antipology came in, right? Antipology comes in with built on this new architecture, implicit modeling, which can handle the complexity of, of 3D printed parts really with ease and making use of, of modern computers, GPUs architected for manufacturing today, not architected for how we manufactured in the, in the late 70s and early 80s. And you know, the, the, in terms of the design for AM tools that are out there, you know, there's been this kind of emerging market, which, which Entopology is leading around new, you know, looking at, at new approaches for design, looking at new data models, you know, different ways of representing the geometry digitally. There's a number of companies working on, you know, the, the build processing portion of the engineering process. So engineering process is not just necessarily design. There's also the build processing and there's also the analysis and simulation. Um, traditionally, you would say CAD, CAM, and CAE. And for 3D printing as a manufacturing process, that, that's the same thing. However, because 3D printing, it, it differs from other manufacturing processes in that you know, the, the manufacturing process is, is a fairly complex process, right? You're building the material up while you're building the geometry of the part. In other processes, the geometry might be fixed and you're 
you know, in casting, the material is kind of crystallizing. Machining, you know, you start with a really beautiful material and you carve away to get the shape. And the geometry is really hard, hard to get. But, and so because of that, in 3D printing, both the build process, the CAM portion, and the simulation analysis is actually critical for the design process. And so that's kind of, we're still with, with the state of the software industry is we still have like a number of companies focused on, you know, one of those areas with design, manufacturing, or the analysis of the process. With, with NTOP, right, we're, we're capturing this, we're trying to capture this engineering process essentially built on top, leveraging or built on top of this data model that can actually handle the complexity of the process. And so that's really what, what we've done. Okay, those are really great insights. And so what you're saying essentially is that just like additive manufacturing has completely reinvented the way we manufacture part from the ground up, you guys have reinvented the way we design and engineer components from the ground up based on this completely new technology. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to say actually for that too, like I think any time in human history where there's where we as humans have came up with a new way of making something, you know, all of the design processes, all of the business processes, all of the foundational technologies kind of have to go through a transformation to really enable that new way of making to, to reach mass, the masses and, and make it real, right? Like you might come up with a new machine and you'll be able to hack a part or two out of it. But once those design processes or design software really upgrades or new markets emerge, that's when that new manufacturing technology really um, can have an impact. Yeah, totally, totally. And from, from your point of view, what, what is the impact on a design engineer? What do those new tools that now I have at hand enable me to do differently compared to any other manufacturing technology out there? Well, I think, you know, I think this is actually a really good question because I think it addresses what's the role of, of the human in the design process. And especially with the shift to advanced manufacturing, 3D printing, you know, 3D printing is a fully digital process. It's kind of the first, one of the first real manufacturing processes where you're essentially building or able to build in a kind of fully digital way tied back to the design. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about, oh, can we automate humans out of the process? You know, if it, can we use AI to like automatically generate these parts and then humans and engineers, there's, they don't need to exist anymore. And I actually think that's a little bit crazy and nuts. And I think, you know, humans have always been the heart of any creative process. We're really good as humans at coming up with creative ways of doing things and, and making connections where there weren't necessarily connections before. We're not really good at grunt work. And one of the issues with using the current set of tools or the legacy tools to try and apply them to advanced manufacturing is there's a ton of grunt work involved and you have to really hack those, those programs to get parts out. And it actually removes the creativity in the process because if you're spending your whole time trying to clean up a model or clean up a mesh or apply all these rounds and fillets everywhere, you're not thinking about the actual engineering of the, of the part, what the part needs to do, what problem you're trying to solve with the part. And, you know, this is, this is also tied to, you know, you've, you know, everybody knows the term generative design now. And a lot of generative design that's out there is essentially trying to be this black box that, you know, removes the human from trying to come up and design 
design the shape, which is which is interesting because if you think about that, maybe shape design is is grunt work. If you can get to a, a shape initially, that's awesome. But if you remove the human too much, right? Like if the human is not in control of the process that's creating that shape, then you're potentially limiting the possibility of of what you're getting out of that. And and then the engineer doesn't really know what's what the inputs are and what's going on with with going into making that shape and they can't validate it, et cetera. And so, you know, those, those black box type systems tend to be able to handle very, very, very simple cases, you know, with, with one load case, not very complex set of requirements. And usually you don't have a lot of controls and engineer. And so I, I, I think the, what we're, what we're trying to get towards is actually have the human, have the engineer play a more creative role in the process where, you as an engineer are now thinking more about the actual engineering problem that you're trying to solve, you know, from, from first principles, like, okay, what is this new piece of structure that I'm trying to design for a satellite that needs to, you know, withstand some type of vibrational loads on takeoff and needs to also operate an environment that gets really, really cold and really, really hot and spans between the two. And how can I make this structure really lightweight? And what are the things I can control? Like maybe if I'm 3d printing it, I can make really, really thin walls all over the place. So let me come up with some really, you know, interesting designs for thin walls. But instead of having to think about, oh, can I make this wall connect to this? Can I draw, you know, a, a line here and offset it and then trim and Boolean union and do all of this, these, these, these kind of, let's call them CAD operations that might not necessarily have to do with engineering. Instead, I just want to be like, okay, I want to make this thin twisty wall here and I want to control its parameters in a certain way. And so I think the role of the human slash engineer in the design process is, is going to be a much more creative role going forward. And it's not so much about grunt work as it is about creativity. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying essentially is that anthropology and the new generation of CAD CAM software design tools and engineering tools actually accelerates the creativity of humans and enables therefore a completely new generation of applications and manufacturing. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on. I mean, it basically it, it, it removes the grunt work and the work that is um, overly laborious and allows you to be more creative through the process. And that, that's kind of where, that's what we see as the future for the engineer, whether it's in anthropology or outside of anthropology, it's, it's about, creatively solving hard problems and having the right tool set to allow you to do that. Not having a tool that increases friction and increases blockers for you, but actually having a tool that removes friction and works naturally in the, in the area that you're working in, right? Like if, if your goal is to document a design and make some drawings, traditional CAD is like ideal for that, right? It was built in the late seventies, early eighties when, when drawings were the communication method. So Brad, if we, if we now take it a step further and if I'm a, an engineer at a automotive organization and uh, I work with a lot of legacy parts, have a lot of experience in conventional manufacturing. And if I hear additive manufacturing, it gets very quickly overwhelming. There's, as you mentioned, generative design concepts out there that I see. There is people talking about lattice structure and so on and so forth. The question that many engineers out there have is, how do I now start with my first application? In the case my, that my organization is pushing into additive manufacturing, we're uh, potentially even 
sourcing certain additive manufacturing equipment. How do I start the design process on my first application? Well, so why don't I start by saying how you shouldn't start the design process? Right. And because I think a lot of it, it is overwhelming. There's so many terms out there that are not that well defined yet as an industry. It's a, it's an, it's an emerging industry, right? Like the number of 3D printed parts out there compared to the number of traditionally manufactured parts, like 3D printed parts make up like a fraction, a really teeny little fraction of the number of parts that are out there. So it's very, it's, it's emerging now and we're still as an industry starting to define some of these terms that you just mentioned. And so, you know, the way not to start is to say, okay, I have this part design already. Uh, can you just like 3D print it and make it and let's make it and, and let's get it cheaper, faster, better. Um, and I guarantee if you just do that, you're going to fail. The part probably will not come out properly because that part was designed for whether it was for a forging or whether it was for a casting. It wasn't designed specifically for 3D printing. And it's actually going to be more expensive to source and probably will not meet the requirements that you need. However, in a number of cases, metal AM, metal 3D printing, polymer 3D printing has proven to produce parts that are in fact higher performing you know, whether it's in the case of the Sierra turbine case study that uh, um, they showed building a micro turbine, reducing the part count from 61 to one parts um, makes the part higher performing because you don't need gaskets anymore to attach these parts and the lifespan is longer. Um, also, it's proven to be cheaper too. You don't have to source so many components and you could get the part faster because you don't have to spend a lot of time making all the tooling. You can get the part, you know, in a week roughly rather than a, a month. And so in terms of where to start, you know, I think one thing you might need to think about is how to unlearn some of the things you've learned from traditional manufacturing, right? With traditional manufacturing, the, the material you get is perfect to the material properties that you need. And the geometry is very hard to get, right? And so you might design a very simple geometry with knowing you have a certain set of material properties. 3D printing flips that, whether it's polymer or metal, 3D printing flips that around. The geometry is easier, but the material is hard. The material, you might have changing material properties through your design. You might not have standard set of material properties. And so the processes to qualify parts are, are being upgraded and changed as, we, as we're having this discussion right now. And so, what I, what I would do is, you know, look into the set of parts that you are working on on a day-to-day -day basis and which of those parts, you know, could, you know, could you gain performance from if you were to say, you know, combine them into one, combine a, a bunch of parts from an assembly into one single part, which, which part has really tough geometric requirements where when you're working on it, you're running into geometry bottlenecks left and right. And you're like, oh, if I could just remove this like draft angle limitation, maybe I could connect these two parts and I can make it out of one system instead of two different parts, right? Um, is there a place where weight savings could be really critical for a system and have actually, you know, exponential effects or have, can cause feedback loops of weight savings in a system? In automotive, right, if you can take some weight off of, you know, the the suspension system, all of a sudden now you might need 
smaller springs for the suspension, which reduces more weight, which now you've actually gotten to a point where maybe you don't need such a big engine, which reduces more weight. And now all of a sudden the, the body in white can be lighter and that causes a feedback loop of, of weight savings. And so there might be some critical components where you can, by combining them and removing some of the weight, removing some of the, the fasteners, et cetera, um, <clears throat> could have much bigger impact. And so I think the first thing to do is to look into what type of part makes a lot of sense to, to look at or what type of assembly where you can combine multiple parts into a single part makes sense. And then it's about unlearning some of the things that you've learned from traditional manufacturing. You know, your material properties are not going to be, you know, you're going to have a range of material properties in your design. So you need to design for that. Um, you're going to need to do some, you might, if you're 3D printing lattice structures or using some type of cellular structure because you want to, you know, use it for energy absorbing or vibration dampening, you're probably going to need to do some tests of coupons and, and actually physically test the parts that are coming out. Um, and so I think it's about finding initially what the right application is and, you know, unlearning some of the stuff that you've learned from traditional manufacturing. Geometry is less of a bottleneck now. There still are geometric requirements in 3D printing, whether it's a polymer FDM print and, you know, the overhang angle is going to be a factor, or whether it's metal 3D print and the thermal warping, the thermal distortion is going to be a factor. But I think the, the key here is not to apply traditional manufacturing thinking to 3D printing and to get in there and try and test and test on small components, small coupons. If you don't know what the machine is capable of, test it. And, you know, the machine vendors all have really amazing teams of application engineers that are like, they want to help you in exploring and figuring out what the right type of part is. And I would engage in them and, and talk to them and have conversations with them. And I think, you know, if you open up, if you're a little bit open, I, I, I think another thing that's important to note is this is a new emerging industry. And it's really important that we're open in terms of what we're doing to, to help the whole industry move forward. And, you know, if you're at an automotive company, you're traditionally used to working in a very kind of closed environment where you, you don't share design files with manufacturing vendors. I think you're, you might lose out um, when working with the, the, the big 3D printing vendors. I think the three, the, the, like I said, the, applica the, the application engineers are really good at these companies and they'll help you, but it requires a little bit more openness in terms of how you work. And I think that will have a, a big impact as well. Yeah, totally. And also from my experience, I, I, I see the exact same approach in, in very successful projects where, as you mentioned, we, we don't start from a legacy design and try to understand how the 3D prints it, but we go a few steps back and try to understand, as you mentioned, which application can benefit the most from additive manufacturing and which application has the, the largest challenges today with traditional manufacturing. And then, you know, as you also mentioned, take up this freedom of design and the creativity that we can now apply to this geometry to unlock those performance features that weren't possible before. Yeah. One thing I also, oh, go ahead. And one thing I also liked about your comment is, is testing. And the cool thing is that we now don't have to wait for a tool to be manufactured in order to test. We can test small specimens in overnight prints and therefore very iteratively 
develop a completely new design concept in a short time period. Yeah, and so by the way, I actually have a, a, a nice example of, a, of this type of unlearning and this type of new thinking applied to create a really amazing product um, mm -hmm. with, the, with the Air Force creating these CubeSat bus, buses. It's basically the structure for a satellite that carries all the equipment for the satellite. And the CubeSat that was made, it was 3D printed in Inconel. I believe it was Inconel 718. And you might be thinking, why would you make a primary structure for a space part out of Inconel? Inconel is one of the most dense metals out there. Nobody would ever make you know, a, a, a structure in space out of Inconel. Inconel is only used for like parts that need to withstand very, very high heats in very small amounts, right? And, and if you were you know, any design engineer thinking like, hey, I'm going to present to my boss, like, let's use Inconel for a structural part. You, you might be laughed out of the room. But the thinking was this, actually. The thinking was, if I look at the different metals that we can 3D print, Inconel, because of its material properties, it's very weldable. You can print very thin walls with it. And the, the design engineer, actually, Ryan O'Hara, who now works for us as our, as our director of aerospace on our ap applications team, he was actually looking at corrugated cardboard and thinking like, you know, in, in, you know, one of your first statics or first engineering classes, the professor will hold out like a piece of paper and a piece of corrugated cardboard and the piece of paper will kind of flop down and the piece of corrugated cardboard will stay like straight out yeah. and they'll say, okay, these both have the same amount of material, but why is the corrugated cardboard stiffer? It's because the material is put exactly where it's needed. It's, it's the moment of the, of the structure is increased and there's very thin walls connecting um, these two surfaces on, that are spread apart, right? And so, you know, he was thinking, can we make a CubeSat structure that's like a corrugated cardboard? But in order to do this really well, we need a material that we can make the thinnest possible walls that has, you know, the stiffest possible properties. And when looking, comparing aluminum, titanium, and Inconel, Inconel, you know, pound for pound has a very high strength to weight ratio. And so even though the material is so dense, if you could make it really, really thin, you could have an incredibly high performing structure. And, you know, if you were thinking through traditional manufacturing, you could never make walls that were, you know, the thickness of two human hairs. However, he actually tuned his 3D printing process through doing a number of tests to be able to print these extremely thin walls while keeping the, the structural properties and keeping the, the crystal structure of the metal still really good. And in, in removing that you know, old way of thought to making something that you know, would have been impossible traditionally, he was able to, to produce a satellite that, was, that could ship in a matter of days rather than weeks, could be tuned to have a custom assembly hanging off of it, and it was 50% lighter than the original aluminum one. And so this is pretty wild. Using a material that's three times as dense as aluminum, he was able to still get a structure that was half the weight of the aluminum. And so that to me is like a profound set of benefits through you know, thinking kind of from first principles at what's the problem that we're trying to solve and how can we, if we didn't have any geometric bottlenecks, how could we solve that? And 
you know, the next thing that usually comes up is like, wait a second, how am I going to design this using my traditional drawing set of tools? And that's, again, that's where anthropology comes in, right? Anthropology makes it possible to come up with that design. So you're not limited by the, the tools that you're using. In fact, it's now pushing, yeah, it's pushing you now to design parts like this. Yeah, it's the perfect example of, as you mentioned earlier, the combination of new design tools and an unlocked creativity of humans that then come together to develop those applications that would have never been possible years ago. Yep, spot on. Now, let's say, let's go back to our example of our engineer who is now designing his first application. And now we, of course, want to multiply very quickly and get into a mode where we can scale into a position where we have many more applications developed for additive manufacturing. Do you have any tips to, to give to design engineers and engineering groups and leaders on how to now accelerate their design and uh, engineering efforts towards additive manufacturing? Yeah, well, I think it's very helpful to have that initial proof point where you've proven the technology out through an initial successful deployment of, of 3D printing on some system. It could be something as simple as like making more, making jigs and fixtures for your manufacturing process in an easier way, or it could be something as advanced as the satellite example I was just giving. But um, having those proof points, I think helps people see what the benefits are and also explaining those proof points as to what's needed in order to, to really navigate this new design space that's opened up by 3D printing. And if you have every engineer at your company thinking like, where can I increase efficiency by deploying this new manufacturing technology with reduced bottlenecks? That can have a major impact on, on your business as a whole. And we think that there's really a couple key aspects of and topology software that, that helps unlock this, this, this new way of thinking. And it's really the, you know, I talked about the unbreakable modeling slash implicit modeling a little bit early on where our new modeling technology can, enable these really advanced and complex structures with, and it's not going to fail when you ask it to do some like, let's say, you know, nasty geometric operation. There's two other aspects. There's field driven design, which is, you know, giving you as an engineer better control over your geometry. Um, you know, you could use the fields generated from the physics and the analysis to directly control design parameters. And so that could come from, analysis that you do, it could come from test results, right? Like you could 3D print a hundred different coupons, test them, and then bring those material curves in from the test to start tweaking and tuning your design. And so in that case, you know, you're directly, you as an engineer kind of composing the design process and, and in very direct control of, okay, here, my thermal analysis is going to drive exactly where this, these perforations and hole patterns go. Maybe the stress analysis is going to control how thick the wall is. And then I might run some topology optimization algorithm to figure out the actual structure, where to put the walls and stuff like that. And then the third aspect to really deploy advanced manufacturing through your organization very widely is this idea of or the ability to reuse and remix workflows that engineers do. So if you come up with a really innovative way of building that corrugated cardboard structure, 
every engineer at your company should be able to use that like it's a feature and they can apply that really amazing corrugation structure that is already tuned to your manufacturing process to other types of parts. Maybe there's different size satellites. Maybe instead of a satellite, it's the skin, uh, monocoque skin structure of a, of a plane or of something like that. And um, you know, this, these remixable workflows allow you to build a knowledge base of really amazing design capabilities that are reusable. Engineers can build on top of, you can recompose, take parts of, you know, maybe for, a, for the satellite example, vibration was really important for controlling where the material went in the corrugated cardboard structure. You know, maybe there's a, another part where stress is critical. And so you, you start bringing in other physics to, to tune the same design parameters. Or, you know, maybe instead of having it as thin as possible, you say, okay, let's open up the requirements. We could add some more material to make it stiffer even. And so you can build on top of it. You don't have to start from scratch. And, you know, with those three, um, key aspects of NTOP, unbreakable modeling, field-driven design, remixable workflows, um, we've seen really successful deployments of, of advanced manufacturing across companies. Those are really good, good insights. 100% uh, agree with them and uh, also 100% see, especially the third point that you mentioned, to featureize certain innovative models that are being developed within your organization. and. Uh, pushing them to be a widely accessible within your organization. I think that really not only unlocks new developments and new uh, applications, but it also is a very motivating tool in order to push this new mindset of additive manufacturing throughout a company. Now, if we, if we now maybe take it even one step further and uh, go into uh, 2025, we're, Where will product design be in, in five years? What's your, what's your vision and uh, how, how can engineers prepare themselves for it? Yeah, totally. It, it's, and, you know, so today, these advanced manufacturing workflows are primarily developed by some of the most advanced engineers out there. You know, in five years, these workflows are going to be accessible to all engineers. You know, every engineer will be working with AM processes as part of their job. And so they're not, it's not going to be, they're not going to be only designing 3D printed parts. Not 100% of new products will be 3D printed, but like next generation aircraft, they're saying 30% of them will be 3D printed. Um, and, you know, tying back to what I was saying before, like I, I think the remixable workflows is really going to be what makes a big difference in the design process. And, you know, not just in 3D printing, right? Instead of starting the design from scratch, You might be able to search for existing workflows and, and, you know, use them off the bat or tweak them to add what you need into the workflow to, to um, produce a part that's kind of fit for purpose for you. And, you know, these workflows are going to have an enormous amount of expertise embedded within them. And, you know, it will be far better than any new design that, you know, that I could come up with from scratch. And this is, I, I think this is closer to what the software development industry looks like today than mechanical engineering looks like today, which is, you know, if I'm building a new UI for a new app that I want to release, I'm not going to write that app in assembly code. I'm not going to write that app from scratch in C++ or a low level language. 
I'm not even going to write that app in like a higher level language like Python. I'm probably going to, you know, use a framework that exists and I'm going to tune that framework to, to work for me. I'm not going to create my own little button. You know, I'm going to use an existing library and I'm going to build on top of it. And, you know, I think with the complexity that 3D printing brings to the, to the market, you know, I definitely see that these, these, these remixable workflows can start to allow engineers to not have to start from scratch. Um, you know, you could leverage your expertise to add in what, what you know. So say you're like a dynamics systems rotor engineer. You can leverage the fact that a manufacturing engineer came up with the right, you know, type of structure and the right type of design space for, for making this, I'll go back to the corrugated cardboard example, to make this corrugated cardboard. And for me as a dynamics engineer, then I might be able to add into that workflow the dynamics aspects. And I think engineering becomes much more collaborative. It becomes much more open. And you know, engineers can leverage the expertise of others in a, in a, in a better way. Yeah, I think that's a great vision, Brad. And I, I like the comparison of the hardware and manufacturing industry with the software industry because one thing that we don't have as of today in the manufacturing industry is the agility of the software industry. And I believe strongly that with additive manufacturing, we can pull in the tools that we have already successfully proven in software developments such as, uh, such as sprints, such as uh, certain uh, agile methodologies into the hardware developments in order to not only create uh, better applications, but also create applications that fit the market need better, create applications that are uh, closer to current market shifts that way faster than they used to be, right? We now have uh, uh, COVID, which I think showed everyone that uh, we cannot plan uh, two years ahead for certain uh, changes in demand. And, uh, I think uh, your tools and uh, also the additive manufacturing technology will certainly enable that. So, Brad, thank you so much for being on Additive Snack. It was a pleasure to have you on board and uh, really uh, super interesting insights that you gave us today. Yeah, thanks so much, Fabian. It was a really enjoyable conversation and happy to, to chat. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on Additive Snack. Of course, you can learn more about Brad Rothenberg and Entopology's next generation design tools at entopology.com. On the next episode of Additive Snack, we've got another great guest and another great topic lined up for you. You see, so many companies that use additive manufacturing for rapid prototyping, they want to take the next big step. They want to use AM for production. And that's what we'll be talking about on the next episode. Moving from additive manufacturing prototyping to production. And Günger Kara, the chief digital officer of Otterbock, will be joining us to talk about best practices. Otterbock is a fascinating company that makes 3D printed prosthetics and wearable human bionics. Incredible stuff you won't want to miss. So please join us next time when we'll be diving right into another additive snack. <laughs>